following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right now. All right now. Why don't you stand up a little bit and we're going to do some jumping jacks on the four count. Get a little blood flow. Listen, now listen. You got to put all this in perspective. You understand? Uh, the world is screaming. The news channels are screaming. Stay home, stay home. And yet, when they're telling us to stay home, they're doing everything they bless well want to do. Governor in California said there will be no chanting, there will be no singing, there will be no out loud worship in California churches today. So, most people just stayed home. Here's what I want to tell you. The whole thing that's happening in this world is really turned toward trying to stop what we're doing here today. The spirit of Antichrist doth already work. It already exists. Antichrist is coming. But I'm here to declare to you whether we have 100, 200, or 3,000 that we were running before this pandemic, we're going to have church here today. We're going to open our mouth and we're going to say amen. We're going to praise the Lord. We're going to magnify the Almighty God. Understand something, folks. That out there is not what is in here. That's the world. They are getting their messages from another world. Not heaven, another world. There's only two spirits, God's and the other one. I don't even want to call him by name. But the bottom line is that there is a church in South Austin that's going to have church today, and we're going to magnify the name of the Lord. We're going to exalt Him, and He's liable to walk in here and do something great for us before this morning's over. I do have some, I do have some uh, good news for you. A lot of people think it's bad news, but it's good news. David Pena got his ticket to heaven yesterday. Brother David Pena, the apostle to the prisoners of Texas, the man that opened doors for them, the man that blessed them. I'm going to miss him. He was like a brother to me because he was my brother. I got to go see the homes that he had put together for all these folks that have gotten out of prison. He told me, never call him a halfway house, Pastor. It's not a halfway house. It's a transitional home. We're transitioning these people back to society. And he brought them all to Christian Life Austin because he wanted Christian Life Austin spirit to rub off on these men that got out of incarceration. David, it's good news for you. It's tough news for us. But we celebrate your life today. Would you clap your hands and say, I celebrate <laughs> Pastor David Pena. Come on, clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Margie, his sweet wife, we talked on Saturday and, uh, or Friday, and she wants the funeral to be done here. He doesn't want his funeral to be in a, in a funeral home. He wants to be done in church. He loved this church. So we'll be telling you when that's going to be. We'll be making announcements. But we all need to come and be a part of what that is because he was a man that was more than a myth, but he's legendary. He's legendary. In this town, they called him the man of faith in this city. And he attended this church, and we're going to miss him. Would you give a hand clap for him right now, all over this house, all over this house? Now I'm going to I'm going to preach a little bit here today, and and uh, you know, sometimes people say, 
why don't preach your best when nobody's there. Why? I'm going to give my very best to you today. I love holiday preaching. It's hard preaching. But it's not going to be hard today because you're going to be saying amen to me a whole lot today. I'm just believing that by faith. Everybody say God's family. Everybody say God's family. 1 John chapter 2 said, And now little children abide in Him, and when He appears, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him, because it's not ours, it's His righteousness in us. Chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. You have hope today that purifies you. 1 Timothy chapter 4 said, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to try my best to help him. That scripture sounds pretty good. And you may be seated. To all those watching online, we salute you today and we thank you for joining us. <clears throat> we admire you. We'll have church here next Sunday also. Next Saturday is our serve day. We're excited about that. We're going to give back to our community next week. Isn't it great to be a part of the family of God? <clears throat> Families are so much fun, especially this weekend, 4th of July weekend, celebrating being an American. CLA family is blessed. We're a loving church. We're a cool church. I put that in my notes. I read some things said about family. A little eight-year-old young man sent a postcard to his parents from a summer camp. He said, Dear folks, I knew all along that something awful was going to happen. Well, last night it did. Love, Johnny. He didn't tell them what it was. He just said it happened last night. Children's letters to God. Kids at six and under direct their quotes to God. One wrote, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for me and my brother. Or the little girl that said, Is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? <laughs> it's fun being a family. We're going to celebrate this afternoon at Brad and Cassis. We're going to tear their house up instead of them tearing our house up tonight. Tony Campolo, when he was a member of the sociology faculty at an Ivy League school, he and his wife were expected to attend get-togethers with his colleagues and their spouses and one, 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 one more, on, on more than one occasion someone would ask Tony's wife in what appeared to Tony to be a condescending manner, and what is it you do, my dear? Tony's wife found the perfect response for those occasions. In machine gun fashion she would reply, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of Judeo-Christian tradition. So they might be transformers of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia God will for us before the foundation of the earth. And then she would just catch her breath and smile and say, And what is it you do, dear? And the person asking would look flustered and meekly say something like, I just teach sociology. 
I love being pastor of this church. I love you. There's less of you. This church has lost weight. It's not as heavy as it was before the pandemic. <laughs> we meet some of the most wonderful people on the planet here at this church every day and every service. Many people that have entered our doors have felt unworthy of being here because they have words like this, thanks for letting us be here today. Thanks. We're glad you're here. Or, I feel so honored to have been invited. Or this one, would it be okay if we came back again next week? We really loved what we felt here today. Those words baffle me. They really do. The exact opposite is really more true. We would say things like, wow, did you see who was here? Can you believe they came? And it's so neat they saw something that they liked here. That's how we feel on this side of the equation. John said, we are children of God right now. Everybody say, I'm a child of God right now. Then he goes on to say, it's not been revealed what we shall be. Then he puts a B-U-T there, a but. But we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Turn to someone and say, I'm getting better every day. That's right. Say, I'm getting better every day. All right, it's response time. Say, I'm getting better every day. That verse bears out that we are not there yet at being what we ought to be. Simply put, we are flawed people. <laughs> we have flaws. Some flaws show, some are hidden, some are present, some are past, some are real, some are imaginary. But hell's best game is called the mind game. It's hell's bestseller. Hell is constantly restocking its shelves with another version of this game, the mind game. See, hell delivers better than Amazon. This game is delivered daily to the front porches of our house, free of charge. This is why as family we must gather together as often as we can at God's table, regularly, and laugh, and love, and worship, and get fed the right things from the Word of God. Clap your heads and say amen to that. I speak today of God's family. Studying the Word, <clears throat> this book is filled with famous personalities. We all love Bible characters, don't we? We love them. We love them. People I want to sit down with in heaven, people I want to put my feet in the river of life and exchange stories with. Massive men and women fill the pages of the Word of God. Men like Noah who built an ark to save his family. Men like Abraham who was the father of faith. Men like Isaac who was Abraham's promised son. Men like Jacob, the father of the nation of all of Israel. Men like Moses who delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Men like David who was Israel's warrior and worship king. Men like Job who withstood hell and gave us a reason to go through things when we have the same issues. Men like Paul, the writer of half the New Testament. Men like Peter, the speaker, the messenger at Pentecost. And then there were women. Women like Rahab who delivered a young man named Boaz. A woman named Bathsheba who brought a son named Solomon into the world. A woman named Tamar who brought in Pharez and Zerah who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And a woman named Ruth who was a Moabitess that delivered Obed who was the grandfather of David who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
But there's an anomaly here. I want to hit it with you right quick. Boaz was the son of a harlot, a harlot that lived on top of a wall in Jericho. And she married an Israeli man that helped conquer that land, and they produced Boaz. And that Boaz, who was not a full-blood Jew, married a woman named Ruth, Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She was a Gentile. She was an idol worshiper. And they produced the grandfather of David. All these people, powerful, they were flawed people, every one of them. Look across the audience today. Go ahead and look right now. This is God's family sitting around you. And we're all, <laughs> we're all full of flaws. We are. Every one of us have got warts. <laughs> every one of us. Some of them are under our clothes and some of them are on our face. But we all got warts. We really do. Noah built an ark. I talked about him a moment ago. But after the flood, Noah planted a vineyard and got drunk and laid naked in his tent and sinned with his grandson. And yet, when God looked back on him, he called him a preacher of righteousness. Abraham in Hebrews 11 is one of the heroes of faith, but it had not been written when Abe left the Ur of the Chaldees. It was written 2,000 years after his death. But he walked into a tent and got an Egyptian maid pregnant out of the will of God. And there's been a war going on between Ishmael and Isaac since then and is still perpetuating today many, many thousand years later. He created this unending war. He lied about his wife, not once but twice. Called her his sister in front of rulers instead of his wife. Then there's Isaac who also lied about his wife like his father, like son, like father. Generational curse. Then there's Jacob, deceived his brother, took his birthright, deceived his father, stole the blessings not doing, might not want to deal with him if you were in the dealing business. God called him a prince. But even after he called him Israel, he slipped back into the Jacob mold more than one time. In fact, God calls himself the God of Abraham and Isaac, and not Israel, but Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he is the God of the flawed. Everybody say, he's the God of the flawed. Moses, as God looked back on his life, said, Moses, my servant, my servant. How strange for God to say that, because God had just taken Moses' life due to disobedience when he smote a rock instead of speaking to the rock and forbid him to enter the promised land, but he called him my servant. And then there's Job. We all think that he was perfection. He had a perfect spirit. He loved God and hated evil. The patience of Job. But in the last chapters of his book, Job became a proud man. And God had to let his creation pass by him. Then he rebuked him. And then there's Peter. This dissension took an ear off a high priest servant in the garden. Peter had a temper. He had a temper. He must have had a lot of Irish in him or something. I don't know. Maybe Indian like me. I don't know. Then denied Jesus before the crucifixion three times. Went back to fishing after the resurrection. Backslid from his call. Had strong bias after his infilling on the day of Pentecost. Would not consider a Gentile to be worthy of what he and 119 more had received in the upper room because he was prejudiced. He was biased. He was racist. And he was a bigot. God had to give him three visions to get him off the roof to go to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. Then at Antioch in Acts chapter 11, he worried about true salvation of the people because he clung to a Jewish ritual called circumcision. 
Peter had some problems, but God was his God. David was a man after God's own heart in Acts 13, 22. Wasn't said in the early part of his life, but a thousand years later, it was said of him, David committed sin, folks, adultery. Had an illegitimate child that died, didn't live long. He murdered the husband of the wife that he had an affair with. Gave a letter to him personally to give to the captain to make Uriah go to the front of the line. And he was whipped and killed in battle. Bathsheba's husband, he was a man after God's own heart. That's strange that God would say that. Then there's Lot vexed his righteous soul. He was just. He lived in Sodom. Men came to the door. He offered them his daughters. And then he had relationships himself with his daughters. I know I'm presenting a bad picture here, but God called him just. He was a just man, this Lot was. Abraham was a friend to God. Then to top it all off, folks, it's going to get better, I promise. The man who introduced Jesus to the world, John the Baptist in Matthew 11, from behind prison bars 18 months after he had introduced him on the River Jordan, sent two of his best to find Jesus to ask one question. Here it is. Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Eighteen months after he baptized Jesus in the Jordan, after he introduced him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world, he said, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus ignored that question. He just turned around and had church all day long. He opened eyes. He made lame walk. He cleansed lepers. He let the deaf hear. And he turned to the men at the end of the day and he said, oh, in essence, you're still here. He said, I want you to, I want you to go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. That the blind eyes are opened and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised to life and the deaf hear and the poor hear the good news. Go tell John all that you've seen and all that you've heard. And then he said, tell him, blessed is the man who is not offended in me. Blessed is he that doesn't get upset in my timing of life. Then as they were leaving, he turned to the people that were there and he said, what did you come out to see? Did you come out to see a reed blowing in the wind? What did you come out to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? He said, those kind live in palaces. What did you come to see? He said, I hope you came to see a prophet. Because he said, there's not a greater man born of woman than John. John had sent men to ask him, are you the real deal? And Jesus sent back, tell him that there's none greater in all that's ever been born than John the Baptist. What I want to declare to you is how you see God during this pandemic is not how God is seeing you during this pandemic. God sees you as an overcomer. Come on now. God sees you as a winner. God sees you as blessed. God sees you as touched by the hand of the Lord. God sees you as blood washed. He sees you as blood bought. He sees you as bearing his name. He sees you as carrying the victory into tomorrow. Come on, clap your hands. It ain't how you see him. It's how he sees you. You might as well get ready to clap. I'm going to preach. So what's the deal here? Jesus said to his disciples one night in Caesarea Philippi, upon this rock I'm going to build my church. Everybody say my church. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then in verse 19, and I'm reading from a new rendition here. I'm reading from what I call the, I just found this Bible, Christian Standard Bible. I love it. Whatever you bind on earth, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. <laughs> and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, when you get ready to bind some things, it's already been bound there. When you get ready to loose some things, I've already done it. I've already turned the wrench to the left. I've loosened it for you. What he's saying is, I'm ahead of you. You're not, you're not, you're not seeing that Jesus is following you. You're following me. And when you get ready to bind some things in your life, it's already been bound. Oh, hallelujah. When you get ready to loose some things in your life, it's already been loosed. I declare some things right now on this morning. I declare that this pandemic will not be with us forever. We're coming out of this. God said, you bind that, I'm binding that. So God said, I'm going to bind that with you. Amen. It's already been bound. And I want to loose the fact that fear is going to leave this congregation and people are going to come out and magnify the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God said, that's already been loosed. Come on, somebody, clap your hands and say, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Moses, when wanting to see the glory of God in Exodus 33, said, I will make, God said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. He said, you're asking for my glory, but you've got to handle my goodness before you can see my glory. And I'll be gracious, he said, to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That scripture is what I want to preach about today. I will be gracious to whoever I want to be gracious to. And I will show mercy to whoever I want to show mercy to. Because after all, this is my church. I'm getting ready for the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. Right in the middle of this pandemic. I'm getting ready for the greatest miracle because my God told Moses in the cleft of the rock, I'm going to show mercy where I want to show it. And I'm going to be gracious to whom I want to be gracious to. And since it's not his will that any should perish, get ready. We are his family. This is his church. He loves us, flaws and all. And he's coming with a revival like we have never witnessed in all our days. Because people are talking about a falling away. But in the latter days, there's going to be revival. There's going to be revival like we have never witnessed in our life. Clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. You know, boxing's a unique sport. It really is. A couple of guys get in the ring and try to knock each other into next week. They really do. Fist powered with thunder. Mm. They say Rocky Marciana could go eight inches from a cow's ribs and hit him with his fist and break the cow's ribs. I wouldn't want that hitting me in the ring. In fact, I don't even want to go near the ring. He might miss and hit me sitting on the front row. And it's just covered with an eight-ounce pad. And I thought it should be outlawed before because I was watching a boxing match one day and a young man got killed in the ring. That was way back in the 80s. But then came this other sport called UFC. Mm. Those guys just have a back alley brawl. 
It's just bare knucks. And I know there's men that think if I preach against that today, they're going to say, mm, Pastor, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. So I'm not preaching about it. I'm just saying, that's a tough sport. That's a bad, bad man gets in that octagon. That's a bad man. And I've watched boxing some. And I told the Lord one day, if David can kill a man and you give him grace, <laughs> I think I can watch a boxing match every now and then and you'll still take me to heaven. But I've just about quit watching them. Kind of like I just about quit eating bluebell. But I've seen many fights. I've seen many in my life. I saw a Butterbean fight one day in person. I was invited to go and I went. The only boxing match I've ever been to in my life. Please, Lord, don't hold it against my charge or cause these people to hold it against my charge. He won the fight, but he was tired when it was over. But I saw a man get knocked down and out one night. Staggered up at the count of nine. It was the last round. Went to his corner. The bell rang. The decision came and he won the fight. And I said to myself, what's wrong with this picture? I saw a man get knocked down twice in one round and he won the fight. I've seen fighters get knocked down in the middle rounds and win the fight. The reason is because the judges judge the whole fight. They judge the whole man. They see his pressing. They see his intention. They see him still coming forward, getting waylaid by blow after blow, and he's still coming. And they give judgment on all rounds, not just one. Moses was on the canvas when the fight ended, and the Lord said, he's my servant. Jacob lost some early rounds, and he won the fight because God sees the entire battle of life. Noah lost the last round, but God called him the preacher of righteousness. Some in this house have done things that you're not proud of. And some of you think that God could never forgive you. But there's three things you need to get a grip on today. Are you ready? You might want to write these down. They're not going to get on the screen. The first thing you might ought to get a want to in your life. You might ought to say, I want to live for God. I want to make heaven. I want to go someplace someday with the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to live forever. You've got to have a want to in your life. The second thing you have to have is a get up. You got to have a get up spirit in your life. You got to get up when you get knocked down. The difference between a righteous man and an unrighteous man is that the righteous man gets up one more time than he's knocked down. Listen to me, I don't care how many times hell has floored you with sin questions and floored you with family issues. Get back up again. Get up and fight again and win the fight. Win the fight. And then the third thing is you got to finish. Finish. Don't stop 100 meters from the finish line. Finish. Let's finish this thing called the race of life. God judges the whole fight, not just one or two rounds. Some of you in this building have lost early rounds. I call the early rounds how you were born in the home you were born in, your environment you was raised in. That's a bad situation. You was born into a bad deal. Some have lost middle rounds because you couldn't believe because the way you were born that the cross could have an effect on you and that it would include you in its, in its call. So the cross is something hard for you to believe that God could do that. And some have lost a couple of minutes in the last round. The Holy Spirit you don't think would help you because you're not pure enough for the Holy Spirit to help you, but there is still time left. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up and finish. Get up, get up, get up, get up and finish. We all have sinned and come short. There's some older people that go to this church that's been out in sin, and I've got news for you. 
It doesn't matter if you sinned for 70 years and found Jesus on your 70th birthday. You get ready. God's got something great for you coming down the road. Amen. Our God judges the whole fight, not just one round. Abraham and David got knocked down in the middle rounds. Abe was called a friend of God, and David was called a man after his own heart. Lot was slaughtered in the middle rounds, and God called him just. A perfect, holy God looks at flawed people like us and receives us to Him. We all, we all have our uglies. We all have our warts. So why can't we look at one another of all ethnicities, look at one another and give people hope that have lost a round or two in their life? That's what this church has always been and always will be. I pastor people who have lost some rounds in life. I do not pastor perfection. Some do. I usually tell our people don't ever go join a perfect church because you leave here and go there, you'll ruin that church. You'll ruin that church. <laughs> the devil would like to whip us eternally. There are people here who call themselves chief of sinners. God saved one of them, named the Apostle Paul. But God does not judge just one round, He judges the whole fight. And Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, and I kept the faith. Some say, I've messed up, Pastor. And people don't like me and they won't speak to me. You got to have a want to. You got to have a get up. And you got to finish. I'm not talking about kids doing that. I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about a God who takes care of us. And when you was down on the mat, he didn't say, count him out. He said, get up, son, and just finish, and you'll win. That's how it works. Two things I'm trying to do here today. I'm trying to get you folks who have lost a few rounds to get back up in this fight. And I'm trying to get the Pharisees that are judging you to hush up and be quiet and let God be God and let you just be people that follow God. Amen. <laughs> Paul said, I finished. Do you realize, folks, that he had letters in his pocket? He was going to Damascus and was going to kill some people on the way to Damascus. If he had lived, if God hadn't knocked him down and made him blind. And I got a question for you today. If we lived in that day, would we be in a Barnabas, a son of encouragement that turned everybody on to the Apostle Paul? Or would we have been a doubter and said, I'm not going around him. He's a fake. He's a phony. There's things happening in the world today. People are being converted today and folks saying that could not happen. That can't happen. That man, he's, he's, he's a hypocrite. He's not really getting the salvation that I got. Who are you to judge that? God saves who He wills. He'll show mercy on who He'll show mercy. He'll give grace on whom He'll show grace to. Come on, clap your hands. Paul didn't win all the rounds, but he wrote half the New Testament. I want to encourage you to finish the fight. Peter preached at Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved in one day. And after he proved to be an impetuous man, a loud mouth, he cursed one time. He cursed a second time, and he cursed a third time. He lost his temper. He cut off an ear of a high priest servant in the garden. He broadcasted when he should have been tuned in. He thought he had two tongues and one ear. Barnabas was a stubborn man, but God used him at Antioch. Thomas was a doubter, but he grew a church in India. James and John were arrogant. But one pastored the largest church 
in the known world at that time, Jerusalem, and the other wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. Moses had a hot temper and killed an Egyptian one day, but God does not look at one knocked down, nor does God look at one trait. There are people here today who have what I call unique, that's in a unique way I'm saying that, qualities, yet you're a soul winner, you're charitable, you're selfless, you're stubbornly strong, and God looks at all of you, the whole man, not just one problem. Quit looking at your flaw and let God give you mercy and let God give you grace. The Bible said, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. In other words, if there's a little reed in the water that's broken, he will not, uh, 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 that's bruised, he will not break it. And if there is a, if there's a flax that is just kind of smoking, he'll not quench it. He'll blow on it to make it grow up and catch on fire. God looks at your entire life. He looks at the entire man. Forgiveness needs to come into some of our homes on this weekend. But pastor, I was hurt 18 years ago. Yeah, but God sees the whole fight. Not just one blow in your life. He sees the whole person, not just the part that messed up. Pastor, my mom hollers at me, kids say, quit judging your parents on one flaw. Your mama also cleans your house. <laughs> she also fixes your meals. She also washes your clothes. Sinners are lost. His blood covers your sin. My life is a mess. His blood covers your mess. I have too much iniquity in my life. He, his, your, his blood covers your iniquity. When you get home, I'm almost finished, but when you get home, I want you to pick up your Bible and I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm going to close here today. I want you to pick it up. Because God's speaking about a city, Jerusalem. And He said, when I passed by you, verse 6, He said, when I passed by you, I saw you. I saw you in a bloody mess. You were polluted with your own blood. And you were naked. You had nothing to give. You had nothing to give. And He said, but I looked at you. Watch this now. And I said, live. Live. Wow, live. That's the greatest word we could hear as a nation today, live. There's a lot of pollution going on. There's a lot of bloodshed going on. But the Lord is saying, I looked at you and your desolation and your pollution, and I said, live. And when I got to you, he said, you were naked. And he said, I took water and I washed you off. And then I took oil and I anointed you. And then he said, I took my skirt. I took my robe and I covered your nakedness. I fixed you. You were pitiful. You were horrible. But I fixed you. I saved you from your ruin, from your pollution. I saved you. And he said, I put my skirt over you. And I said, live. And then you stood up and I clothed you. But he said, I wasn't done. I went and found you a crown to put on your head. I went and found a necklace to put around your throat. I went and found a bracelet to put on you. I claimed you. I crowned you. I put a necklace around you. I put a bracelet on you. I dressed you up. What I saw was a mess. And what you became was a queen of a whole world. That's what God's making out of his church. Because God doesn't kill us. He doesn't judge us because we've messed up. He doesn't judge us because we quit. He judges us because He can clean us up and make us whole again. 
Mm. I can't preach any better than that. That's my sweet spot right there, Ezekiel 16. That's my sweet spot. I love what God does with people. He said, tell the disciples. And Peter, after Peter had denied the faith, he said, after the resurrection, he said, tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Jesus still reaches flawed people. Randy, if you'll help me, John's gospel would be enough if there was only one gospel. John 3 would be enough chapter if there was only one chapter. And John 3, 16 be the greatest verse if there was only enough one verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But Paul made it clear in Galatians 2 and 20. He said, The Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Everybody say, it's not about the whole world. Come on, it's not about the whole world today. It's about me. It's about me. God loved us. He loved you. He loved me. And He said, I will show mercy whoever I want to show mercy to. And I will show grace. John realized he had a unique love for John. He said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. In John chapter 11, Jesus didn't just love the whole household of Bethany. He loved, in verse 5, he loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. <laughs> he loved them individually. God loves us all individually. The book says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? Not them. Everybody say, Not them. Not mankind, but him. He sees when I get knocked down. He sees when I'm hurting. And he comes and said, I saw you when you were bloody. I saw you when you was in your own pollution. But I poured some water on you. And I anointed you with oil and I said, live. And this church is alive today because he saw us when we were at our worst. And he judged us to be our best. Would you stand all over the building and give him a hand clap of praise, not the preacher, but him. the Lord saying you did good today son. I didn't give you half a barrel. I gave you the whole barrel today. Gave you everything I had. Let me say something to you. Let me say something to you. We've had three great awakenings in my life in this church. One was when a New York call girl, a high class prostitute received Jesus in the old building. It showed this church that anybody could be saved. And one was when the man that said he destroyed half my family in Dallas in 1981 sat in this church for eight years and grew in his salvation and his strength with God and then went back home. It was an awakening for me. And then about three years ago when God gave us a miraculous month and showed us that even dead can come back to life. And cancers can be healed. And heart situations can be corrected. And God showed us three wonderful awakenings.
Here's what I'm declaring to you. Get ready. God's walking by right now. He says, I see where you are, world. I see where you are. You're in your own blood. You're naked. You're without hope. But I'm going to tell you, live. 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 Lift your hands all over the house. Lift your hands in your home. I've gone over time, but that's my business today. I gave God a little extra today because He's blessing us today. Raise your hands all over the house and say, I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. Raise your hands in your home and say, I love you, Lord. And if you'd like to come to know the Lord in your house, raise your hands and say, Lord, receive me into your life. I'm ready for you to speak life over me. I'm ready for you to speak help and health over me. I'm ready to walk in your favor and your goodness and kindness. Receive me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Bless me, Lord, today. I receive you. I receive you. And if you feel the Lord has washed you and cleansed you and made you whole, write us and say, I came to know the Lord today in my own home in front of the television. And you that's in the house, let's say it together. I receive you, Lord. I receive you, Lord. Make me new. Make me whole. Make me special. Bless me, God. Hallelujah. Speak life over me. I receive it in the name of Jesus right now. Amen. Everybody clap your hands real big and rejoice in the Lord, for He is good. He is so good.